Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning, everyone. It's really lovely to see everybody here today. Happy Sunday. Um, it's it's a quiet end of January. Um, we are heading now into uh, what is 2021 in real time. Today is the last day of the first month, and now we're embarking on our second. Um, but it's really wonderful to still see so many faces this morning. Um, it's been a little bit more than a little bit crazy, this quarantine. And, and um, I really hope that as things settle and as, you know, the unrest in our country continues, but as the ground settles after what was a tumultuous, tumultuous year of um, politics and everything, uh, I just hope that you are doing better um, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. If you're not, that's okay, but I hope you're able to find some peace um, this Sunday. Uh, we are continuing in our sermon series on Romans. I just, I give this disclaimer every week, but I have to give it again just because I have to give it again. And that's, you know, God's word is God's word. Romans is a crazy book. Try not to take it as from one person or or from one church, but um, just understand that what I do as a as a pastor is not to preach to you what I think you guys need, um, but to faithfully deliver the message that God has given or the passage that God has given. So everything that I preach um, is directly a result of what Scripture says. Um, the main idea of what I preach is, is directly out of, um, a translation and analysis of scripture. So please take that into consideration and just keep an open heart and open mind. Um, we're just going to continue through Romans. It's, it's, Romans isn't an easy book. So take a deep breath. Okay. We're going to read through Romans first, and then I'm going to pray for us. Uh, we're reading through Romans chapter 5, verses 18, through chapter 6, verses 14. Romans is after Acts. I think it's before 1 Corinthians. Um, yes. Romans chapter 5, verses 18, through Romans chapter 6, verses 14. Romans chapter 5, verses 18, through Romans chapter 6, verses 14. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue to live in sin? Uh, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we die, who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that <coughs> just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in new, newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Abba, we are so grateful for for your blessings and for your love. We're so grateful for all that you have for us this morning. We're so grateful for this place, this ability to be able to record, this ability to be able to worship together. We know that this is a unique time, but we know that you have equipped us with everything we need for this time. And we're so grateful, God, that you have allowed us to be able to gather together without harming one another um, and, and be able to worship together. Abba, we just pray. Father, that upon every head, um, every place in which people are hearing this word, I pray, Lord, that you would really uh, inhabit that space, Holy Spirit, that you would really fill wherever it is that people are listening, wherever it is that people um, are here to be able to encounter your word. God, I just pray that you would be with them, that you would make your presence known there that you would take us to the next level of awareness, the next level of spirituality, of spiritual awakening with you, God. Would you jumpstart us spiritually to be able to be aware of who you are right now? Abba, we pray for, for more and more of your grace to be with us every this morning, God, every single one of us. And Abba, I just pray that you would you would guide us to be at a place where we can just be able to receive your word and be ex be able to experience you. Jesus, hide me behind your cross that only you are magnified and only you are glorified. God, I am nothing without you and I am I am nothing in in front of your word. 
This is your word. It's your people. It's your church. So God, I pray that only you would be magnified and only you would be glorified as we all gather and to hear what you have to say to us. Abba, we, you have saved us. You have set us free. And now we are not under law. We are not under sin. We are not under death, but we are under grace. So God, I just pray that that would resonate in our hearts this morning. Be magnified. Be lifted on high, Jesus. Receive all glory. This is your worship and we commit it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon is Grace Abounded All the More. I'm going to say that one more time. The title of this sermon is Grace Abounded All the More. The main idea is where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So come under grace. Just repeat that one more time. The main idea is where sin increases, Grace abounds all the more, so come under grace. Now this first part that we read is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and it's a little confusing. So I do want to touch upon it before we get into Romans 6 a little bit. Um, It gets a little bit confusing. I didn't read all of it. I highly recommend that you guys read it on your own and wrestle with it on your own. But we start off, you know, today's sermon technically covers Romans chapter 5, verse 12, all the way through all of Romans 6. And when we look at the very beginning of Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all man because all sin. Um, Paul starts going into what is the universality of death, and he goes into Adam versus Christ. And so I, I just want to address this a little bit. Um it's a little confusing when you read it like, I believe the com- one of the commentaries that I read literally said uh, the syntax of Paul falls apart because he decides to um, interrupt himself multiple times with multiple things and then the grammatical syntax kind of falls apart. And so it's, it's a little confusing to read. Um, so if you've been having a hard time every time you've encountered this passage i don't i don't blame you but i just want to address a couple of things first and foremost and i want to address to you the quintessential question how can one person's sin make us all sinful how can one person's sin make us all sinful and paul just kind of goes into this covenant headship that's what we call it um, of adam and christ just as how sin came to, into the world through one man, then justification and righteousness came in through another. But before Paul even addresses that, he interjects himself with, but if sin didn't exist before the law, blah, 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 blah. And it's very confusing. So I just want to address that real quick. Um, in plain speak, to just explain what Paul is saying is, if sin existed before the law, but there's no law to break, You can't technically sin. So then how did sin exist before the law of Moses? If there was no law that that existed to break, how can sin exist before the law? And the reason for that is is Adam. The only thing that can be accounted is Adam's transgression. See, God commanded Adam one thing, one thing, to not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing that God said not to do. That's the one thing that God said. God said, you can have all of this, everything here, but don't go just to this one tree. 
And that's the thing that Adam broke. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil because of the serpent. And it's not just because of Eve. It's ultimately the transgression of Adam. It's ultimately the fact that God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam does. And Eve does. Right. And the only thing that can be accounted for this original sin is Adam. And so this is what, this is what Paul is talking about. Well, if sin existed before the law, then how? And it's, you know, we see Adam. Adam has broken what God has asked him to do. And then it goes into a little bit of the universality of death, right? So every person has death. That's because the wages of sin is death. It's not necessarily a logical progression that it's like idiomatic almost. You, I eat an apple and what happens? I eat an apple and what happens? The apple is gone. I eat an apple and what happens? The apple is gone, right? Do I go here? No, don't go here. No, do I roast myself? No, don't roast myself. <sighs> Fine. The Knicks strikes a bad deal with KD. What happens? They lose one of the greatest opportunities. Right? There's just causes and effects. And the natural effect of sin is death. And so in, in sin, which is entered through the original sin of Adam, right? Judgment and condemnation was brought, right? And it's this one man's action that brings judgment and condemnation. And, and the wages of sin is death. And so death becomes a universal effect of sin. Death becomes a universal effect of sin. And so through Adam's one action, death is brought to all. So where Adam brought judgment and condemnation, and that's that was Adam's covenant headship, Paul introduces Christ, right? And so we see we see this under here. Let me read this verse to you. It says, you know, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And it's this understanding from one head to another head. So then what's the difference between Adam and Christ? What's the actual difference between Adam and Christ? Adam brought judgment and condemnation, right? Adam brought judgment and condemnation as a result of his sin his sin was simple he did not obey god that was it christ brought justification and righteousness right and so there's this difference between adam and christ but one of the main things that we can see of the differences is that adam's one action brought in death to all and then the many sins in this world led to jesus's one act so it's like through adam's one action Death was brought to all. And now there are all these actions by all these people 
And all of these actions lead to Christ's one act. There's this universality of sin and death that leads to a universality of an opportunity for justification. Um, and it's an interesting, it's worth mentioning. I know, I, I don't know if I'm being a little confusing here. Um, it's worth mentioning because, because we live in an individualistic society where we think that it's only our actions that lead to consequences in our own selves. But there's this understanding to God that we are one body. We are one creation. We are one mankind. And it started off that way. And through that one man, through that one man's trespass led to sin. And the effects of sin can be seen resoundingly in our world today. Death exists because of the trespass. Death exists exists because of the trespass. And sin and death doesn't exist because of the law. That's why keeping the law doesn't necessarily do away with sin all the time. Because sin has to do with disobedience against God, not about doing the moralistic thing. And it comes in the beginning, uh, the beginning of mankind, through one man. Through one, one man. Adam's name is Adama. And what that means is humankind. Adam's one action brought death to all. And then these many sins exist in the world. Humankind multiplies for 2,000 years, right? More than that. More, wait, more, way more than that, right? For thousands of years before the coming of Christ. Man continues to multiply and multiply. And with that, the trespasses multiply and multiply. Many different people choosing other things, their family, their friends, their success, other idols, other religions above God for thousands and thousands of years leads to Jesus's one act. It's almost like a circle. I don't know. It's like a, it comes full circle. And the way that we can describe that is covenant headship. It's the, it, it has to do with the promise, right? Because God promised Adam, right? In the creation blessing, be fruitful and multiply. He blesses Adam and there's that covenant blessing, right? It's not necessarily a promise, it's a blessing. But in that, right, there's this relationship with God and Adam that is broken. And through Adam, all of mankind exists. And then... With Christ comes another promise. Um, and Paul actually says, for Paul, he actually thinks that this is very uh, natural and normal and reasonable. So I know I'm saying a lot of confusing things right now. I'm really, I'm itching to say, I've, I've said this before. Actually, yeah, before I give my illustration, I'm going to say one more thing because I think this is really important for you to understand because it's not just about the headship of one person and one person, but it's also this element of like recreation. It says in the beginning of John chapter one, I've, I've said this before, I've said this in the last, I think it was 2019, um, but I've said this before, I've tried to explain this before. It says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And not anything was not made, not anything was made except through him. Right? 
Now we know that in John chapter 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We know, right, just point blank, no brainer. Not not because, you know, you should, of course you obviously should know, not that, but it's that this is what it is. The Word is Christ, right? John is, John is directly appealing to the, the God, the divinity of Christ. He's saying Christ It's not just the son of God who popped up in the middle of nowhere. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. The word in the word of God. Now, how was everything made in Genesis 1? How was everything made in Genesis 1? How was everything made in Genesis 1? Through God's word. What did he do? He He spoke. God spoke. Right? God spoke and things happened. Things were created. The entire universe came out of God's word. And so we see here, well then if God, if through God's word everything was created, then through God's word, Through the reincarnation, through the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, there is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And the difference between Adam and Christ is that when man was made, this representative of humanity, he brought judgment and condemnation. But Christ brought justification and righteousness. And while Adam's one action, one individual action brought death to all, many sins, the many sins of all of humanity led to Jesus' one act. And that act, in a lot of ways, it's not just an act of justification, but it's almost this new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And Paul almost explains this as though it is natural and normal. He says, just as the world fell under sin and death under one man's trespass, so also through one man's actions, everybody is saved. Or everybody has the opportunity if you believe in the name. This just as so also like progression of logical thought is uh, Paul saying like it's obvious, but just as this, so also that. For example, right? Um, I'm going to. I'm not. I'm not even going to bother try, trying to roast. Boston sports teams because, oh God, I don't want to deal with that. I'm a New Yorker. I won't go there. So I'll, I'll use the Mets, right? Just as <laughs> my friends would get mad. I know. Sorry. My friends would get mad at me. So I really hope that they don't see this. Um, just as the New York Mets disappointed their fans last year. So, <laughs> whoa, 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 pause, 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 pause. It's okay. It's okay. Just as the New York Mets disappointed their fans last year, so also they will next year. 
Oh my gosh. I really hope. Tony, don't let anybody else see this. Oh my god. I'll have, they'll have my head. Um, you know, just as. You know, playing back on the Knicks, just as. The Knicks. <laughs> no, JK, they're doing well right now. Right? But, but still, but still, do you understand this? It's like a, almost like an obvious transition. Just as. Just as, you know, sorry, Tony. I'm so sorry, Tony. You're just in my frame of, just as, you know, Tony has been my sister this year. So also, Tony will be my sister next year. Just as, I have bothered her every day last year. So also, I will bother her every day of her life this year, right? Just as, you know, just as. So also, it's, it's not, it's not like a, I hope you understand, it's, it's not a, oh, because this, then this, so this, if you do this for me, then this will happen. It's not like a progression even, it's like almost, if you can hear it, it's a continuity thing. It's almost like an understood continuity thing, right? Just as. The whole world fell into sin through one man's trespass. So also, through one man's life, death and resurrection, many will be saved. Just as so also. And so we, we see we see that there's a lot of content going on here, but at the end of the day, it's to explain what God's role is. And it's to explain the immensity of what Christ has done. Given Romans 4, given Romans 5, given justification by faith, given, you know, under being under grace, given, you know, what we talked about last week with suffering and, and, and God demonstrating his love for us and that Christ died for us, right? And that we are not just justified, but we are glorified with him, right? Just, given all of these things, hence the therefore, Given all of these things, just as one man's trespass, so also through one man, the whole world is saved. Now I want to return to the question I asked. How does one person's sin make us all sinful? Never mind just, I mean, there's an obvious answer that Adam is the first man, right? He is the father of all mankind, right? Through him, we are all, we, he was the, he was, he came first, right? Um, but with the nature of sin, it's kind of like, this is, I'm so sorry that this is the only example that I could possibly give, but it's kind of like recycling. Um, what I mean by that is with recycling, the really annoying thing about recycling is that, and I don't know if y'all knew this. So for those of y'all who, who might not have been recycling, right? Rip your recycling bins. Um, it's, if, if there's even a speck of trash, not a speck, but even if there's like one article of trash in one bin, all of it has to be thrown into the trash. I, one, even if you've recycled really well, you've, you know, separated everything, your plastics, your paper, your cans, your metal, it's all, it's all beautiful, right? Beautiful, right? But if there's like one rotten apple in your bin, 
technically, they have to throw everything in the in the trash. They have to put everything in the dumpster truck rather than doing recycling. It's the one thing that contaminates the whole lot. And it makes it unusable to recycle. Even if it's just one little small pit of apple. You can't, you can't use it anymore. Um, that's, at least that's what it's supposed to be. I don't, I don't really know what it is in, I haven't looked into specifics about what it is in, in mass, but that's what it's supposed to be, right? So if you, if you can understand that about sin, that one drop of transgression has spread throughout all of creation. And it, got, it brings us back to the question of, is God to blame? Is sin, I, I would say, the answer, I would say, like, maybe not the answer, but maybe one important question to ponder upon is, is sin a part of God's blueprint? Has sin come out of God's agency? Some of you might say, well, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. Why couldn't he have stopped it? I believe it was his respect for what he has made and his love for his people that instead of smiting us and judging us on the spot, he is allowed for our agency to continue. Does that mean that God is to blame for sickness and famine and all the evil that has come out of this world? Can you really blame God for human corruption and sin? Let's consult the blueprint. Is it in the blueprint? Is that what had what God had designed for us that has failed us? How much are you willing to take responsibility over your actions? How much, and maybe not responsibility, because Christ has clearly borne that, but how much are you willing to take ownership over our part to play? And so these, these quintessential questions all, they all arise. But Paul talks about these things and he talks about how Christ has done has reversed the enormity of the action that has come through Adam's trespass. And then I love the last, I love, I love the last two verses of Romans chapter 5. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Where sin increased, 
grace abounded all the more. And the interesting word about this part is rain. This is, this is the thing about Paul. He drops in these verbs. And verbs are important because they dictate relationships between words. Right? It's not where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Um, so that as sin resulted in death, Grace must also result in righteousness leading to eternal. It's not a cause and effect thing. It's not even a, it's a, it's a power thing. So that as sin reigned, ruled in death, grace might also rule through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ, our Lord. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him. Through him. And then the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign. Through righteousness. And then verse six, uh, chapter six happens, where Paul takes upon this debating kind of attitude and um, structure of, of preaching yet again. And he says, what shall we say then? And he starts to take this, you know, he's 25 years of ministry. He's like, I know what y'all are going to ask. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And the second portion, I, I like to, I like to, like, I think one of the, the main thing about Paul that you can see in Romans 6 is by no means. What that means is no way. No way whatsoever. That's what plain, that's the plain speak of that, right? By no means is no way whatsoever. He says, no. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound all the more? No. And he goes into this interesting dance for the rest of this chapter about sin and grace and our agency in that, right? Our action. The word agency is action, active action. So shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And then... Paul mentions baptism here. To say, to elaborate, he's like a, what I like about Paul is he gives us straight the point. He gives us his short answer and then he elaborates. So he goes, no. And then he elaborates why the no is a resounding no, right? And he talks a bit about baptism. Now, a lot of us, we think about, you know, actual baptism. Uh, yes, but also no, because this is where baptism, I guess the significance of baptism comes into play as Paul explains the theological significance of baptism. So this isn't actually saying like, oh, as we were baptized, like, yes, 
It is, but it's not necessarily, uh, how do I say this? It's explaining it, right? So the word baptismo means to be immersed in, means to go under, right? And so when it's, when Paul is explaining the baptism that we have in Christ, he's explaining how we are immersed in what Christ did as a result of being saved. We participate in Christ's death and resurrection. So also we have been baptized with Christ. So also we have, we, we participate in his death and we participate in his life. We are immersed in. Christ's death and resurrection. And it's it, the the understanding of it is that, is that we we take the same likeness and form of this. Um, does that mean that we will die and resurrect? Like that does happen on the last day, but I don't that's not what Paul is referencing here. Um, what Paul is saying here is that our life takes the likeness and the form of death. We die with Christ. And then we live with Christ. What does that mean? We die to our flesh. And we come alive in the Lord. After... I, before I move on into my other points for this part, I I want to specify something and make something really clear that I will be talking about more in the application, and that's that faith is active. Um, faith is not active as a requirement of justification. Um, sorry. Uh, but as a active part of salvation as an active part of sanctification we live with christ and so we see paul introduces this element of our actions what role our actions have to play does our actions do our actions save us no but are our active is our activity in faith, an important part of our faith. Yes. And I'll explain why, okay? But before I explain that, I want to talk a little bit about, see, Paul Paul likes to talk about, he likes for everything to kind of be meld together. And and one thing that you might miss here is the, the resounding significance of the victory of Christ. And so he says, you know, after bearing the penalty of sin, the universality of death as a result of sin is conquered and he has won the victory over sin and death. Death is no longer possible for Christ's body. So Christ dies as why? As a demonstration of his love, right? He dies for us. But what he does in that moment, he bears the penalty of all sin in the past the present and in the future once and for all just as through adam's one action everyone 
the whole world was affected. So through Christ's action, the everyone is affected forever. Right? But not just that. He has won the victory over sin and death. The universality, because the, the reign and the authority that sin had over us is broken. The authority that death has over your souls are broken. And death is now no longer possible for Christ. He has gone through life on this earth. He's gone through death. And now death is no longer possible. The universality of death is broken. In what? Eternal life. And within that understanding of not just the nature of what Christ wore and what Christ justified, but what Christ did and the significance of what that means for our lives, we see here him explaining this part about reigning in sin and death and reigning in grace and this baptism. It all plays a, a factor together. Why? Why is our action important in faith? It's because of the reign of sin. The reason why your action is important, reason why act, activity, agency is important in faith is because sin wasn't just a moral thing. It wasn't even just a justice thing. It was a power thing. Sin reigned. It didn't just affect everything. It ruled. With what? The universality of death. Nobody could escape. And sin reigned over our souls, over our lives, over every living thing on this planet. In this universe, sin reigned. In all of creation, But that's broken now. Victory has been won. There's the there's the more blatant hope that we receive in that death no longer can have the same effect on us as it used to. If we have grieved that death means something so different to us now than it ever will it, it, it ever had before in this in this in the history of this world, in the history of mankind, right? But the significance of Christ defeating that is also power. When it says, we see a glimpse of that here. We see where we were. We see it not in where we've read, but in a little bit past, right? I'm reading from verse 19 of chapter 6. 
to the end of the chapter, okay? Or actually, let me just read verses 16 and 17. Do you not know, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one who obey, who you, whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart of the standing of, standard of teaching to what, to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So this word is the same word as Lord. When it says, I think in the NIV, it says that slaves were your master. Um, and that's the same word as Lord, curios, right? And so we see, if I can synop, if I can just summarize, right? There are masters that we serve, sin versus God. The outcome of the service, death versus eternal life. And the means for that outcome, wages versus a gift. And so the reason why our actions are important is because it speaks to our heart. And who is our curious? You might ask, but aren't we saved by God's action? So why does our action matter now? Like I said, it's a power thing. It's not about just, it's not just, it's not about salvation because that is only justification by faith, but it's about what you adhere to. Paul agrees with James when he says that faith without works is dead. Because it speaks to your heart. It's not that your works save you, but it's that your works is a direct application and indication of your faith. Your faith cannot just exist in your brain and cease. That's not how faith works. When you believe in something, when you believe that something is going to happen, you follow through with it. You live that way. I believe that my mother and my father loves me. So I operate as their daughter in my actions. Faith and belief is something that naturally leads to works. Not because those works save you, but because it is an, indic it is an indicator of what you are adhering to. An indicator of what you ascribe to. An indicator of what 
takes priority and precedence in your life? What comes first for you? If you say, I love you, Ma, but you live your life as though you're an orphan, do you really love your mom? If you say, we are friends, but you operate without any communication, without any talking, without quality time, without affirming words, without any of these, these exchanges of human relational love and relationship, are you friends? Are you actually? There has to be something there. For there to be friendship. Something. Some baseline. Even once a year. Even once every five years. But something has to be exchanged. Not because it's about, it's not, not because it's transactional. But because the substance of your friendship is in your action. So in this case, we are justified by faith, by grace through faith. Right? It's a gift. Because Christ has defeated it all. But when your faith has no action, what is the substance of your faith? When you say, I trust you, God, but you live your life as there is no, as though there is no trust whatsoever. What is the substance of your faith? And that is something that is difficult. And if you have a hard time with that, I stand with you. I have a difficult time trusting God. My whole life has been a journey of learning how to trust God. So I'm not saying, oh, you're wrong. You're bad for not trusting in the Lord. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge that we must understand. That faith requires life. Action. So it's not about your works saving you. It's that faith by nature is active. So shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? God gives us hope for the future, but he also wants to transform the way we love until we attain that hope. I'm going to say it one more time. God gives us hope for the future, but he also wants to transform the way we love until we attain that hope. See, if God has really done this miraculous, crazy thing, it is a game changer. The sheer belief in something so groundbreaking is transformative. We have to live our whole lives differently if we truly believe. We cannot live as though there is no Christ if we believe in Christ. It's impossible. Not the, not it that, oh, you ought not to, not, I'm not saying this like normatively. I'm not saying like you ought to do this or you ought to. I'm saying naturally, organically, when you really believe, that God is who he is and he did that for you, your life 
organically is not able to stay the same. It's not a matter of if this, then you should do it. It's just cause and effect. It's a just as so also. It's not an if then. It's not a conditional. And how do we apply this? This understanding of Adam and Christ. This understanding of covenant headship. The immensity of what Christ did. To decontaminate creation. The absurdity. The immensity. Of Christ's one action. The sheer power of Christ's obedience. To overcome Adam's act of disobedience. The fact that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Because the power of Christ's obedience overcomes Adam's act of disobedience. And then the fact that faith in that. Faith in the victory of Christ. From the universality of death and the reign of sin. Has active consequences in our lives. How do we apply all of this? It's a lot of thickness. You might be disengaging right now because these are all complex things. But I want to challenge you. If you haven't heard this sermon, if you're not, if you're distracted right now, I want to challenge you to re-listen and take notes because this is something that we can overlook over and over again. But you have to understand. You genuinely have got to understand. What is going on in the death and resurrection of Christ and what that means for our lives. And there's not a lot of passages in scripture that do it as well as Romans. And I need you to really lock in with me. I know this is a lot of difficult stuff, but how do we apply this into our lives? What is the significance of our baptism with Christ? We die with him. We die to our flesh. Just as Christ died for the penalties. And we live with him. So sin is not the thing that reigns. But grace is. Right? If sinning and sin reigning in our lives produces acts of sin. Because those are two different things, right? An act and the thing in and of itself. Righteousness and an act of righteousness, right? If sin reigning in our lives leads to godlessness, disloyalty, idolatry, what does the reigning of grace organically produce in your life? Perhaps the courage to break from things that you would never be able to break before. 
for me, breaking my addictions were huge. Because at a certain point, addiction is one of those things that's so debilitating that you, your body needs it. And so when I, when I was addicted to nicotine, right, I, I got to a point where I genuinely didn't feel that my body could function without it and it was frustrating. But sit, but the, the reign of grace gives me the courage. It gives me the courage to walk. Even if my body screams another way, even if the desires of flesh still exist within me, it gives me the courage to walk and fall over and get up and keep walking. You know why? Because sin is not the thing that reigns in my life. It is not sin that has power over me anymore. I have the courage to walk in a way that is different because that is not what has power over me. It we we receive it so well when it comes to confidence, but we don't receive it so well when it comes to sin, right? I have the courage, for example, for example, like you do you love yourself, right? Uh figure figure yourself out, you know, come to terms with yourself. Like it gives me the courage to find myself to find my self-esteem because everything that people said to me in the past, the ways that my bullies interacted with me, the ways that the people that have hurt me in the past, they don't have power over me anymore, even if it feels like it does. I am worthy. I have worth. I can walk as in my worth, even though these things have happened before. Even though my brain is still functioning here, I can still walk in my worth. Dare to be courageous and brave. We receive it so well when it comes to self-worth and self-esteem. But when it comes to the nitty-gritty of it, when it comes to sin, maybe we're not willing. Not just yet. When it comes to trusting God with your life, Maybe we're not willing. When it comes to trusting God with your finances, your future, your livelihood, maybe we're not willing. The good stuff, you are worthy. You're a child of God. Yes. But the reason why grace abounds is because there was sin. Sin increased. Grace abounded all the more. The significance of the gift comes in the immensity of the trespass. You cannot just reap grace without living out faith. But maybe for some of you guys, even this is difficult. Maybe you are allowing yourself to be consumed by what the enemy says about your worth and your value. To you, I say it's not just a compassion issue. Fight it. Fight your insecurities with the gospel. Yes, therapy is great. Yes, talking it out, processing is great. Yes, pains need to be addressed and they need to be comforted. 
You have to fight a lie with truth. Awareness is not what fights lies. It's the same thing as that analogy I gave last time. Knowledge about tobacco is not going to break people's addictions because addictions come from pressure. Your awareness about your lies is not going to break your lies. It's the truth that's going to break the lies. Somebody has got to hear that today. It is only the truth that has the power to break a lie. You can be aware as much as you want. That is not going to break your lies. That is not going to break your chains. How are you living out your faith? What does living out your faith look like? You might be like, okay, you're saying all of these things, Jane, but I need step by. Open your Bible. Don't talk to me about step by step. Open your Bible and let it speak into the lie. I cannot heal your lie. The living and active word of God, that is what heals your lie. But you have to be, you have to be wary because the living and active word of God also cuts away sin. Just as much as it cuts away the lie. People ask me all the time, Jane, how did you break from your addictions? How did you break from your insecurities? You are so thoroughly traumatized. How did you break it? How did you break it? How did you break it? Guys, it, I have, I didn't go to, I didn't, I didn't, my friends weren't able to deal with my problems. How do you deal with child, how do you deal with so many versions of child abuse? Now, I'm not saying, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not vilifying anybody. My parents are my, the most wonderful people in the world. I love them. But the trauma that I experienced as a child, nobody was able to handle it in my life. I want you to know there was not a single person in my life that I processed things aloud to. Not fully. No way. How? Everybody don't even know what to do with my birth story, let alone what I've experienced past my birth. All I did was read. For three, four years in my life, it didn't necessarily look like I was holier than thou. I wrestled with partying. I was still wrestling with sin. I was still wrestling with drinking and, and smoking. I was still wrestling with these things. I was still wrestling. I was, I lost my best friend to, I was just, I, I was, there was so much in that. But the only thing that broke my chains long term is the living and active truth. Commit to it. Commit to reading it. Commit to your faith. 
Don't just say, I believe in God. Commit to it in your life. Step into things that you don't think you can do. Now, I'm not saying to set unrealistic expectations for yourselves. God doesn't expect you to be anything more than what you are. I'm just saying walk in your identity. If you fall, okay. Pray and get back up. It's okay. Nobody is allowed to judge you. Nobody is allowed to judge your insecurities. Nobody is allowed to judge your sins. Get back up. Don't say, well, I fell into this and it's fun, so I'm not That's not, you're living an act of faith. But your works don't save you. It's that faith by nature is transformative and active. So if you don't feel like you can be transformed, if you don't feel like you can act, ask God for more faith. Ask God for more grace. Ask God for more clarity. Revelation that only comes through him. Ask him like your life depends on it. Because it does. Pray until the rain comes. Don't just be like, God, please give me rain. Look up at the sky. It's bright outside. Like, man, God didn't answer my prayer. Pray until the rain comes. justification by faith sanctification by struggle but the blessing of the living hope that we have is that we are not fighting with the hope that God will take our side you are not earning the outcome of eternal life is not reached by wages Your actions are not because that means you're holy. It is just the result of active wrestling with God. You know what that also means? Everybody is going through their sanctification journey. For me, outwardly, I was a leader in college that still went out once a semester because I didn't know, number one, I didn't know how to let go of old habits. Number two, because of the people that I loved. And it was an imperfect decision to love on the people that I loved on back then. Would I do that now? No. But sometimes sanctification in people's lives are more than what meets the eye. And you cannot judge them for that. Calling somebody brother or sister is not going to mean that you are saved. There is more happening in someone's soul than what you can see. And it is not your place to judge that. If this person is somebody that you love, if you know somebody in that you love, that you love intimately, that is not living in their faith, and you want to correct them or you want to you know challenge them by all means but speak the truth in love if you don't speak the truth in love you might as well not speak the truth at all because the truth is founded on love and love is what covers a multitude of sins not your rebuke 
It is not the judgment that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Legalism and moralism, that is not active faith. I'm not saying that anybody does this. But like, showcasing your faith, I'm not, I haven't seen this in our community, but showcasing your faith to a level that is really performative, that is not, that is not what makes you holy. What God cares about is what's going on in the secret place. You better not be doing in front of people what you can't do alone. Now, some people, you know, need to pray with people and that's where they experience God the loudest. That's a thing. Hey, you extroverts, not being able to sit with yourself well when you're alone, that doesn't mean that you have no faith. That's just American individual Christianity. What my friend likes to do is she likes to pray in cafes. <laughs> because just having people around gives her the energy to live. Because she's a strong extrovert. And that's fine. What I'm saying is the substance of your heart. The opposite of legalism, the opposite of cheap grace, the opposite of your insecurities, your lies, your sins, is faith. I know, it sounds so simple. It's tried and true. Why do you think this Bible has still been relevant for thousands and thousands of years? It's because it is still faith now. It's not Tim Keller. It's not Reformed theology. It's not Wesleyan theology. It's faith. Those things come after faith. Living, active, Christ-centered faith. That's the answer. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So come under grace. What does it look like for you to not be committed to your insecurities, to not be committed to your pains, to not be committed to your sins, but to live out a life under grace? What does that look like? For you to loosen your commitment to your past, for you to loosen your commitment to your desires and to commit to your faith. Even if it's imperfect, even if it's a journey, what does that look like? Hey, it's painful, but, and we can talk about it. If any of you are struggling with anything I've just said, we can always talk about it because I need you guys to know that if you are feeling this, if you're feeling really challenged right now, I'm with you because I, I've been on this journey and I still am. And we can talk about it together. We can talk about it. Because the blessing is that you don't have to do it alone. But what does it look like for you 
to commit to your faith. And not commit. If committing your whole life, if you have commitment issues like me and committing to your whole life freaks you out, all right, then commit your day. Commit your week. Commit commit the season. Commit your year. Take it day by day. We don't even know when Jesus is going to come anyway. Day by day, we continue to walk. Would you join me in praying? What are some ways that you can break the commitments that you've made that resound louder in your life than your faith? How have you been challenged by God's word today? How have you been challenged by God's word today? I am nothing. Don't think about talking to me about something before you you pray to God about it. I am not the ruler of your life. I'm just here with you. To walk with you. But it's not like I I am the one with the power in your life. Or that I even know. Or that I can even fully fathom. Because I, although I feel you, I'm with you. I, I might not be able to fully fathom. But you know what? God misses nothing. And he does have the power. Praise be to God that the, the one who knows you the most intimately. The one who loves you the most fully. That is the one. He is the one that has won the victory. That has all the power. His name is the name that you call. Lift up your wrestling to God right now. Lift it up. The things that you're not willing to give up. The ways that the world dictates your eyes greater than your faith. Lift it up to the Lord. Have the courage to walk in it. Your faith, I mean. Have the courage to walk in your faith. Just take this moment to pray. From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.